Father, thank you for bringing us here tonight, Lord. Lord, we're here to hear from from you. Holy Spirit, we welcome you in this place and we empty ourselves as vessels for your use and for your glory and your honor. Satan, you are not welcome in this place. We bind you. We bind every spirit not of the Holy Spirit. We put you under our feet and we dis- and we just displace all of you in the name of Jesus. We command you to go. You're bound. We're loosed. We command you to go wandering in dry places. And Father, we just ask angels right now to come and listen to us and stand around us, minister to us. And we just pray for anyone hearing this, uh, this message tonight, Lord, that you cut a clear and unobstructed line to their heart, straight to their spirit for their understanding. And we believe that we receive in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good evening. It is rainy outside, but we are here in the house of the Lord, and we are going to have a great time. We have a a message tonight, and the message tonight is the model of the church. Now, this is not a church at this time where we are, or is it? Well, the scripture says where two or three are gathered in my name, there I shall be as well. And, you know, the church is not a building. The church is actually within us. The church is us. Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. And the branches are us, the believers, and the fruit of that branch is the church. So really, the church is not what we are so much as only as what we do and how we conduct ourselves. Okay? It's not a building. It's not an organization. It's not a, it's not a thing. If we open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 28, that's Matthew chapter 28, Jesus is speaking here, and this, of course, you've heard this before in uh, Matthew 28, 19, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus told who to do? All of us, every believer that walked the face of the earth teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This means that he's always going to be with us. Jesus is going to be ahead of us. He made the way for us. He gave us a message to give to the world. This is not about me. This is about Jesus. This is not about you. This is about Jesus. God wants to glorify his work in you and in me. And when he glorifies his work in you and in me, that way people can see what God is doing and they're going to say, you know, I want some of that. I want that. How how do you get like that? Right? So we're going to touch on all these different things tonight because I really believe that it's important in this time for us to understand how God does things. Because I think that there's a lot of confusion in the world as to what is the church? How does it work? Open your Bibles, if you will, to 1 Corinthians. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27. And Sandy, uh, you haven't been with us for a while. It's wonderful to see you here again. And I'd love it if you would read that to us, please. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise... And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. Great. 
And what does that mean? Well, it means that God doesn't use ability. God uses availability. As a matter of fact, if you're a great speaker or whatever, God's got to break something in you because, of course, you walk into the kingdom, well, I'm here, God, and I'm going to speak as only I can speak. And hey, if you guys are as talented as I am, maybe you can preach a good message too. No, that's not what it's like. God uses the, the, the things that people don't understand. Folks, I'm a drop out of high school. Okay, I have no formal education in theology. I was running in gangs when I was a kid. Do I seem like a holy person to you? I don't seem like a holy person to me. But God uses these things to confound people. Hey, what is it that makes him that way? When God really shows up on the scene, it doesn't really matter. You could be the weakest, lowliest thing in the world and God's going to lift you up. As a matter of fact, Jesus said that, that in the kingdom, the last shall be first. And the first shall be last. Which means all those guys said, hey, 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 get out of the way. It's my turn to get up in the front of the line. Sure, man, go ahead. Go ahead. You be meek and mellow. and Don't worry, because when it comes to heaven, those guys are going to be the ones that are going to be at the end of the line. You're always going to be in a right place when you come before the Lord and you say, Lord, I'm not worthy of this. I, I, I don't know how you're going to do it using me, but I'm willing for you to do this. Turn in your Bibles in the Old Testament to the book of Judges, chapter 7, and we're going to, we're going to read in chapter 7, but let me give you a little, a little beginning here. We're going to meet a guy named Gideon here. And Gideon is, according to his own statements, he is of the smallest tribe. He's from the tribe of Manasseh. Uh, and, and, and God says, well, I'm going to use you to defeat the enemy. And this is a story, I mean, how many of you guys have ever heard of, of putting out a fleece? Uh, putting out a fleece is, is a, a fleece, of course, is, is what you get from a sheep, right? You know, you get their, 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 their wool and, and it's a fleece and you cover yourself with it or you can use it as a, a blankie or whatever, you know. It's a fleece, okay, whose fleece was white as snow. And uh, so what, the, the story goes that, that Gideon is here and the Lord tells him, well, I'm going to use you to defeat the enemy. And Gideon says, who, me? But I'm nobody, Lord. I'm a little guy. I'm a little, the, 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 the group of, you know, the, the tribe of Manasseh. We're nobody. God says, I'm going to use you. He says, okay, Lord, so what I'm going to do, it's not that I don't trust you, Lord. It's just that I, I, I need your help. And I'll tell you something, folks. I understand when people put out fleeces. I've had conversations with people that say, you know, I really don't know how I can trust God in the big things, but the little things, it's just something that I don't know. I was having a discussion with somebody the other day, and we were talking about, about tongues. And I said, well, do you, do you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit? He said, yes, I believe so. I said, well, do you pray in tongues? He said, oh, don't tell me you're going to tell me that if I don't have tongues that I'm not baptized in the Holy Spirit. I said, oh, no, 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 no. As a matter of fact, for me, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit for a number of years and then started praying in tongues a while after. He said, oh, man, that makes me feel so much better. He said, I have a friend that's in a denomination that tells me that, that I am not baptized in the Holy Spirit if I don't pray in tongues. I said, well, then you need to go back and tell your friend that he's not baptized in the Holy Spirit unless he's raised some people from the dead lately because that's also a gift of the Spirit. Does that make sense? You see, if, you, if you're going to be a legalist, if you're going to be a law keeper, 
If you're going to be a person that says, well, God is like this and God is like that and God's not like that, then you better be ready to do it all. So if you're going to say that I'm not baptized in the Holy Spirit because I don't pray in tongues, well, then listen, and you do, then you better show me how you flow in all the gifts. You better be spewing out prophetic word. You better be interpreting tongues. You better be out there doing all the day. You better be giving me words of knowledge, all these things, or you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit. No, I don't think so. That's not how it works. And that's exactly why today's message is what it is. Because we need to get, we need to get it straight, people. We need to understand that God's church is His church. It's not our way of doing things. God doesn't meet us at our level of righteousness. God has one way, and that's why Jesus said that the gate is narrow. Okay, narrow is the gate. It's everybody who says they want to be a cafeteria Christian. Well, you know, I don't like that tongue stuff, but I like that, I like that Holy Spirit stuff. I like the way that when I lift my hands, I get the little tingle. Ooh. Yeah, I like that, but I don't like that thing where you tell me that, you know, that the Holy Spirit is there and everything and, 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 you know, even when I'm, when I'm cheating on my taxes or, or whatever. And I don't like it when, 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 uh, when, when, when you people start to say praise the Lord all the time in public and when you talk about going and leading people to Christ. I don't like all that stuff, but I like how nice Christians are, that's called cafeteria Christianity. You ever been to a cafeteria where you look and you're walking down the line and you like some of this and, ooh, I'll take some of that and, ooh, look at that chocolate cake. I'll have a double piece of that. That's not the way that we deal with the things of God. It's either all or nothing. This is a serious time, folks, and it's time. And if you look outside into the world, the definitions of who's a believer and who isn't is getting clearer and clearer because the people that are kind of playing church, well, there's no big difference between them and the, and the, and the world. I mean, the divorce rate is just as high. You know, the, 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 the adultery rate is just as high. They're living just as carnal a life. It's those who desire to be set apart. See, the Bible tells us to be holy, to be set apart. But the way that we're set apart is by giving ourselves to the Lord and submitting to the Lord. And when he calls us to do something, even though in this particular case, Gideon put out a fleece. Okay. And he said, well, Lord, if this is of you, if you want me to go down, then what's going to happen is I'm going to go to sleep tonight, Lord. And I need you, please, Father, to cover the fleece in water and let the rest of it around it be dry, the ground around it be dry. So God said, oh, Gideon, oh, ye of little faith, that's fine. Okay, we'll do that. So he woke up the next morning, and sure enough, fleece was wet, ground was dry. Cool, Gideon says, wow, God showed up and he showed me. But Lord, show me one more time. So tonight I'm going to go to sleep, Lord, and, and, and I want you to make the ground around the fleece wet, but make the fleece dry. You know, and, and if you think about it, if you think about a fleece sitting out in the, in the middle of the night, both of these things are impossible. So sure enough, the next morning, this is the deal. And this is where we come in to Judges chapter 7. Henry, why don't you read to us um, in the book of Judges 7, 1 through 22. Then Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and camped beside the spring of Herod, and the camp of Midian was on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give Midian into their hands. Let Israel become boastful, saying, My own power has delivered me. Now therefore, come, proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, 
Whoever is afraid and, and trembling, let him return and depart from Mount Gilead. So 220,000 people returned, but 100,000 remained. Then the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. Therefore it shall be that a he of whom I say to you, This one shall go with you, he shall go with you. But every one of whom I say to you, This one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, You shall separate everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, as well as everyone who kneels to drink. Now the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouth, was three hundred men. But all the rest of the people kneeled to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, I will deliver you with three hundred men who lapped, and I will give the Midianites into your hand, so let all the other people go, each man to his own home. So the three hundred men took the people's provisions and their trumpets into their hands, and Gideon sent all the other men of Israel, each to his tent, but retained the three hundred men, and the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. Now the same night it came about that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hands. But if you are afraid to go down, go with Pura, your servant, down to the camp, and you will hear what they say, and afterward your hand will be strengthened, that you may go down against the camp. So he went with Pura, his servant, down to the outpost of the army that was in the camp. Now the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the sons of the east were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts, and their camels were without number, as numerous as the sands on the seashore. When Gideon came, behold, the man was relating a dream to his friend, and he said, Behold, I had a dream. A loaf of barley bread was tumbling into the camp of Midian, and it came to the tent and struck it so that it fell, and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. And his friend answered and said, This is nothing less than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given Midian and all the camp into his hand. And it came about when Gideon heard the account of the dream and its interpretation that he bowed in worship. He returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the camp of Midian into your hands. And he divided the three hundred men into three companies, and he put trumpets and empty pitchers into the hands of all of them with torches inside the pitchers. And he said to them, Look at me, and do likewise. And behold, when I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I and all who are with me blow the trumpet, then you also blow the trumpets all around the camp and say, For the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle of, of the middle watch, when they had just posted the watch, and they blew the trumpets and smashed the pitchers that were in their hands. When the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers, they held the torches in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands for blowing and cried, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And each stood in his place around the camp, and all the army ran, crying out as they fled. And when they blew three hundred trumpets, the Lord set the sword of one against another. 
even throughout the whole army. And the army fled as far as Bethshida, towards Zerirah, as far as the edge of Abel, Meola, by Tabith. Now I know that was a long reading, but unfortunately you really can't break that story down in any other way except for to hear the whole story. Right? So now you see here where now he gets, Gideon gets the word from God. Go for it, man. Go, I'm going to give them into your hand. So of course, Gideon says, okay, I'm going to get 300 some odd thousand men and we're going to go and get them. So he went over there and what did he do? He riled everybody up. Come on, guys, let's go. 300,000 of us. We can surely eat these guys up for breakfast, right? So God, God gets on the scene. He says, wait a minute. No, 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 no. No, Gideon, you got to get rid of some of these people. There's too many of them. Ask him, which one of you people are really afraid? So, nope, a couple hundred thousand went home and now he takes them down. So, so, so Gideon says, well, at least I got a hundred thousand left, you know? And he says, well, okay, so let's, let, let's take those. God says, no, 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 let's go down and, and, and there's still too many men here for you to be able to, if you win the battle, you're going to boast. And people around are going to say, oh yeah, well, you know, Gideon went in with a hundred thousand guys and they were just more powerful than the Midianites and they kicked their tails, you know? So God said, what I want you to do is, you, you heard the story, I want you to, you know, to, to, to see who laps like a dog, you know? So what was Gideon left with? 300 people. 300 people. Think about that. It says that their, their camels were like the sands of the sea and their army was like locusts. You ever seen a swarm of locusts, y'all? That's a lot of locusts. Yet Gideon went out there and, and, and you know that the Holy Spirit was involved because here's this freaky dream about a barley loaf rolling into the camp and the tent and the other guy says, oh yeah, that makes all the sense. If you guys would have read that out of context, would you have understood that dream? I wouldn't have. And the only reason that he understood it is like Jesus said to Peter, it's not flesh and blood that told you that, buddy. <laughs> but it's the Holy Spirit that showed you. You see, we, we are into all these different things when it comes to churches. We've got pastors and, and we've, got, we've got church leadership that's out there trying to build a church on numbers. Oh yeah, we've got 5,000 members in our church and we've got 3,000 members in our church and you know we've got this program and we've got that program and the other program and, and it's, it's just this thing about our church is so awesome you know, because we've got all these people and, and we're, wait a minute, you know, we're winning so many souls for God. Because we got 5,000 people. Well, wait a minute. Look at, let's, let's, let's just look at what a stupid thing that is to say to begin with. Look at what Jesus Christ did with 12. 12 people. And just look at it from human terms. He was all man and all God at the same time, right? Okay, he was submitted. He had to, Jesus had to walk just like you and I walk through life, submitted to the Holy Spirit for God to do anything in his ministry. Okay, so setting aside the cross for a minute, which is something that you and I can't do, okay, let's look at what we can do that Jesus did. Jesus ministered for three years. 
He poured his life into 12 men for three years. And then he left. Okay, and those 12 men went in and poured their lives into other people, so much so that one of those men, Peter, preached a sermon and 3,000 people got saved in one shot because of obedience to God. Do you think that Peter walked in and said, well, I'm going to just, I'm such an avid preacher that I'm going to just preach a sermon and 3,000 people are going to get saved. No, Peter was like, I'm but a fisherman. <laughs> These guys were fishermen. God was using people that had no brains for ministry. I'm sorry, those of you hearing this message that have a degree in theology, hey, praise the Lord, it's a great thing to have, but I found that you can't be man-led and spirit-led. You can't be walking in men's doctrine or the way that men see things. Let's look at the kinds of churches we have today. We've got our possibility thinking churches. You know, hey, anything is possible in God. You know, folks, if you pray hard enough and if you come up with the right combination, God will do what you want him to do because God is sitting up there to give you whatever you want. Your prayers can move God. God will change. I know that the Bible says that, but hey, God is a loving God. God is a gracious God and God will bend the rules for you just a little bit. Sound like some churches out there? Or maybe, maybe, we're, maybe we don't want to quite go that radical, you know? Maybe we want to go to, you ever heard of a seeker-sensitive church? It's those people, you know, those people that they love, uh, you know, the church. They want to go to church. They're relatively, basically good people because, you know, there's good in everyone. That's not what my Bible says. But my Bible says that there's not a righteous one among us, not a one. But these people say, well, you know, we want to create an environment where people feel loved. We don't want to talk about hell and all that stuff. We don't want to scare them away. So you could be sitting in a seeker-sensitive church for a year before you realize you're in the church. But yet, hey, we got great music, man. We got great coffee. You know, we got great goodies for you to feed your flesh on. We have lots of fellowship. We have lots of fellowship. A lot of people that are just as deceived as you are that you can hang out with and feel fleshly loved and, and have people rubbing you on the back and saying what a beautiful person you are and how wonderful it is just so they can endorse your fleshliness. Is that the kind of church that we want? Or perhaps we want a purpose-driven church. Mr. Rick Warren and his folks out at Saddleback. Let's just call it as it is. A purpose-driven church. You know what Rick Warren did, folks? Rick Warren went out and took a survey. Rick Warren said, you know, I'm tired of not having enough people in my church. I'm tired of, you know, people not receiving the word of God. Well, maybe because you have a church full of hard-hearted people, Rick. But let's see what Rick did. What Rick did was he took a, he took a survey. He went out into the neighborhoods and he said, well, what do you want us to preach about? What would you like? That's a congregational church, if I remember right. And let me tell you, congregations don't know what the heck they want. The people cannot lead themselves. This is why they need the Holy Spirit. You know, and what bothers me to no end is, folks, <laughs> we have a church model. Hello, it's called the Book of Acts. That's it. It's right there. Clear as the day is long. What's the problem with the church today? What is the problem with these people? Why don't they understand that these programs aren't going to work? But you know what it is? The world is sick and tired of seeing Christians go from this to that. They don't see consistency. If you talk to people in the world, 
And as I said last week, even though they may not claim to believe what you believe, they're watching and they're hoping in their heart, maybe you've got the answer. But I'm not ready to buy into that yet. You know what I'm saying? So they, they're watching. And when you come up with this freaky doctrine or you come up with this, this, this compromised faith walk that says, well, I, 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 I'm not there yet. I can't. Listen, folks, there are many, many things in this book that I cannot do. I have not reached that level spiritually yet. There is no way. But I will not water that book down for you and I will not water that book down for me because it's God's word. It's infallible. He said it, therefore it is. And the Bible says that he's watching over his word to perform it. The scripture says that he puts his word on such a high level that he swears by himself because God is the biggest thing in the universe and there is nothing bigger than God. So obviously, if he's going to swear by something, he's got to swear by himself. And he's watching over that word. And we don't water that word down for anybody. If you're out there telling people, hey, man, listen, I understand that life is really difficult for you. I understand. But you know what, dude? Nothing's going to change until you give your life to Christ. Not, well, bro, maybe you should pray. and maybe No, call it out. Say, listen, without Jesus, you can do nothing whether you like it or not. You know what? You plant the seed, folks. You let the Holy Spirit deal with that person. You are not the Holy Spirit. You are simply a bearer of good news. If God has done something in your life and you go and you water that thing that God's done in your life down to somebody else, guess what? God's not going to do much more for you because God doesn't do it for you. God does it for Him. God does it for His glory. Not for your glory. God doesn't give you finances. God doesn't give you a good life. God doesn't give you a beautiful life so you can say, I'm so happy. God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm just going to keep this all to myself. No. And so you go out and you say, folks, look what God's given me. God's given me a beautiful family. God's given me a wonderful business. God's given me a wonderful life. And you know what? Most of all, God's given me eternal life with him. But no. We don't do that. We water it down. Dude, you just need to get your life straight. Maybe go to church one day, you know. Go on Christmas. Go on Easter. You know, God will, God will meet you there. You know, you can go to a purpose-driven church down the street over there. Or that little secret sense. No. If you talk to them, honestly, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Do you have a problem with that, folks? Love one another. Do you have a problem with that? I don't think that anyone in the world has a problem with that. It is more blessed to give than receive. Do you think that people in the world have a problem with that? No, they don't have a problem with it's better to give than receive. If it's done honestly, if they see that there's a change, but if they talk to one Christian and one Christian says this, and they talk to another Christian and another Christian says that, I mean, we need to get on the same page, folks. And the only way that we're going to get on the same page is by looking in the book of Acts. So why don't we do that right now? Let's turn to the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 42. And Leo, why don't you read us verse 42, please? And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. That's it, right there. Four points. That's it. Believe it or not, folks, it's as easy as that. 
Teach the people to stay steadfast in the word of God, teaching them the apostles' doctrine. What is, why do we want to teach them the apostles' doctrine? Because that doctrine came straight from who? Straight from Jesus. Amen? This is, this is right where it came from. Bringing them into fellowship in the body of Christ. Teach them to share. Listen, folks, the scripture says that we're to bear one another's burdens. Okay, if you don't teach somebody that, listen, man, I love you unconditionally, and I, before I came to the Lord, and even to this day, in many respects, I'm as screwed up as you are. We're both going to the well, dude. We're both drinking out of this cup of water, of living water that Christ has for us. Share with me. Let me pray with you. Don't you understand? Teach the brethren. Don't sit here and come and watch some one dude talk for an hour, go home and say, wow, that was a good sermon. That really changed my life. And I'm going to go back next week. No! Go and do something about it. Jesus didn't teach so that they would continually just sit there and learn and learn and learn. Teach your people to go out and do something with what they've learned. Plant a seed. The scripture talks about seed time and harvest time, right? Partake in bread with them. Invite them over to your house. Have a church social. Have whatever. Break bread with people. There's something that really happens, really special, when people sit down and eat. I don't know why. Even the angels came and sat down and ate with Abraham in the book of Genesis when they came to bring him information about Sarah having the baby. Remember that? So even God is into sitting down. Jesus said in the book of Revelation, there I stand at the door. He who opens to me, I shall come in and dine with him, sup with him. So there's a big thing. God holds eating in high esteem. Notice, notice that the scripture says that no one's going to be given in marriage, which means there's not going to be any sex in heaven, but there's going to be really good food up there. Maybe that puts things in perspective. Notice, we're not invited to the wedding orgy of the lamb. We're invited to the wedding feast of the lamb. Right? So there is, there is something about this eating thing with God. Teach people the scripture. Teach them the doctrine. Teach them how to fellowship. That means to share their burdens. Make them, help them trust you. And that they feel that they're talking to someone that may have an answer for them. Okay, and understand that it's just like the Lord when, 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 when the Lord with the Israelites when the, at first He gave them the land, then He fought with them so that they would take the land, and then He worked through them to take the land. You understand in the old in the Old Testament, it's the same way when you have a new believer, somebody who's a, a new believer, you need to teach them to trust, to believe in the fellowship of the saints, and to understand that this is the real deal. This is real love, man. And last but not least, be people of prayer. Teach people to pray. Don't point people at you. 
listen, all I know, man, is I was, I was lost and now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And how do I see and how am I found? Because I've developed a relationship with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I can pray and I can get on my knees and I can say, Father, help me. I need help in this area. I submit this area to you. Give me direction, Lord. Teach me what you need me to know in this area. And what will happen? You will have you will have relationship. The Bible says that if you reach out to me, I will reach out to you. It's so sad because some people look at their heavenly father as they look at their earthly fathers. And that's a terrible mistake because some of our earthly fathers were just no good. I mean, I can tell you about me. You know, my first marriage, I did a terrible, terrible thing. I walked out on a woman when she was pregnant. That's horrible. And I'm up here to share with you today that it was a terrible, terrible thing. And anyone that would, if, if, if anyone would look at our Heavenly Father as the way that I was a father to my unborn child at the time, that would be horrible. What a horrible comparison for our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is one of those things, folks, that you can't do that. You need to point them at the real father and say, listen, man, you need to pray. You need to ask God to come into your circumstances. Share with you what is it, you know, that he would have you do. Look here in, in, in Acts, in uh, chapter 2, verse 47 now, instead. And Sandy, why don't you read that for us? Giving praise to God and having the, the approval of all the people. And every day, the number of those who had salvation was increased by the Lord. Now notice, these people, they did this. They taught the doctrine. They taught people how to fellowship. They taught people how to break bread together. And they taught people how to pray. Where's the program? Where's the survey? Where did they count how many people were coming in? Where did they have you fill out a form to know what you think about, to know what you want? Where did they take up a collection? Got to pass the plate. God gave me a vision, but he's going to use you to pay for it. Come on. If you don't pay, it's not going to happen. We don't take a collection here. And if the Lord decides one day to bless me with a congregation, we will never take up a collection. You can mark my words. It's going on tape. It's going on, it's going on the internet. It will never die. We will never take up a collection. I refuse to. In this place here, we've got a box in the back. You ever want to go throw something in the box? Hallelujah. God lays it on your heart to throw something in the box. You do it. You don't want to, you take your blessing, you go home and you be blessed. I don't care. This is God's thing. If it's not going to survive, then it ain't going to happen. Using the king's English. I'm not here to get anybody's money. When I decided I was going to go into ministry because I felt the Lord was calling me, you know how many people went to my wife and said, what's happening with Mikey's business? Is, are things going bad? Is he changing, changing businesses? No. No. As a matter of fact, no. I, I, don't, I don't want any money for what I do. God has blessed me in other areas of my life. I don't need to touch the money in the box. I personally don't. It's God's money. He can do with it what he desires to do. And the last thing that I'm worried about is asking, you know, is asking any of you or anyone else for anything because God built it. God will bring it in. And you know what? It says it right here. And the Lord built it daily. Daily. That means, hey, every once in a while, every day, one more person came in. 
One more. We weren't, we weren't looking and saying, oh man, we, we, we had a couple of visitors today. But those visitors aren't back next week. Oh man, you know what? Forget about that, man. Don't worry about it. Look in your church. Look in your congregation. Look at your Bible study and deal with what's in front of you. The word ministry actually means serving. I am here to serve you. Call me a minister. That's right. I'm a servant. I'm a minister. I'm a servant. How can I serve you? What can I do for you? What can God help, help me encourage you in? What can I pray for you for? I'm here to serve you. I don't care about 10 people that were here last week that didn't show up or 20 people that might be here next week. They're still not here. When God puts them in front of me, then I will worry about it. I'm looking for the true church. That church that walks by faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone, and by the Word and the Holy Spirit alone. Without doctrines of men. I don't want to hear about programs, man. I don't want to hear about how we've got an incredible this ministry, an incredible that ministry, and we led 50 people to the Lord last night. You did lead 50 people to the Lord. That's great, but where are they today? Are they here? Did you bring them into church? And if they don't show up, are you going to pick up the phone tomorrow and call them and say, hey, you know, you, you gave your life to Christ, and I'm just calling to find out how it is. Because part of what we do as believers is we love on one another. Sound doctrine. Rightly divide the word of God. Sound doctrine without compromise. You lead someone to the Lord. They're your responsibility. What do you get out of having a church of 2,000 people, 3,000 people, if a high percentage of them are in debt, the other percentage is going through a divorce. The other part is living in sin. People sneak in the back. They hide. They go and they chill out. Why do you think all these big churches today are so into home fellowship? Because they realize that these big behemoth churches have a lot of people hiding in them. There are some great churches in this state of Florida that I can think of right now that are doing some wonderful, wonderful things. But I'm sure that if you talk to the leadership of that church who has been very transparent, they would say very clearly, we are really after home fellowship. We're after small Bible groups, small groups like the one that we have right now that you're listening to. Because here we share one another's burdens. Someone walks in the door and I say, hey, how you feeling? I can tell something's wrong. The Holy Spirit told me there's something up with you. I can feel it. You don't feel right. If I had a church of 2,000 people, you think I'm going to feel that right away? You think I can stand and talk to 2,000 people? I don't care how many sub-pastors the Lord gives me. A church of 2,000 people, as far as I'm concerned, in my little puny mind, is unmanageable for me. There are many churches out there, churches that focus on Providing an hour of power. <laughs> you guys ever seen that program on TV? The hour of power. With our cathedral we built to our, our piety. <laughs> no. Rightly divide the word of God. Share it with people. Teach people to walk in the spirit. How many churches out there are teaching spiritual warfare? How many churches out there are teaching healing and deliverance? Sure. You hear about spiritual warfare. We have an enemy. His name is Satan. Now, what were we saying? Listen, folks. 
There are a lot of people in these churches that really care about the Lord Jesus. I'm blind, so I can't go to the army for the United States, but I'm a pretty patriotic guy. I love my country. My parents were, were, were welcomed into this country as Cuban immigrants, and this country has embraced me and, and loved me and, and, and treated me with respect and dignity and given me an opportunity to flourish and to speak my opinion and to do things that in my parents' homeland in Cuba they cannot do. I would love to fight for this country. I cannot because of my visual impairment. But if I could, and I was able-bodied as many people are, do you think that I would walk in to an army office, to a recruiting office, and they would say, sure, son, we love the fact that you want to fight, so we're going to just put you on a plane and we're going to drop you in the middle of the desert in Iraq. That's it. We're not going to train you on how to use your M16. We're not going to teach you any of the weapons of war that you have available to you to, to beat the enemy. We're not going to teach you anything about the enemy. We think that your zeal and love for this country is going to carry you through. <laughs> Would you throw somebody out into the war like that? Would you allow your tax-paying dollars to go in? We don't need training programs, folks. We just take young kids. And Would you let your kid go into war like that? Yet we walk into a spiritual war every single day. Every single day. And we've got men of God that know the wiles of the enemy, but they don't teach it. They know the ways of the enemy. They don't teach it. You start talking about devils and people start looking at you like you're crazy. But you know what? I don't care. Call me crazy. But I know that there's a devil. Jesus said there was a devil. And I know that there was a Jesus. And Jesus said that we have the devil under our feet. So when the devil runs at me, I run right back at him. Come on, devil, you want to fight? Let's go. Let's go. I bind you in the name of Jesus. I curse every thought you have against me, every wicked, every wicked spirit in high place. You've got to bow to the name of Jesus. Not to the name of Mikey, but to the name of Jesus. Because when I'm wearing the blood, when I'm covered in the blood of Jesus, they don't see anything but the blood. And they don't hear anything but the word. But my people perish for lack of knowledge. Healing and deliverance. How many people are out there? Listen, I'm not one of these people, you know, back to these churches that talk about, well, if you're not, if you're not feeling good, then God doesn't love you. Nope. God doesn't love you. And, you know, if you're not perfect in your body, well, you just don't have enough faith. No. That's not what I'm saying when I say teaching people healing and deliverance. We deal with a lot of things in our lives. Paul said that he had a thorn in his flesh. What is a thorn in his flesh? A problem, an issue, a sickness, an illness. We don't know if it was bad sight. We don't know if it was a sin. We don't know what it was. But he went to the Lord three times about it. Lord, I need you to heal this for me. And God said, let my grace be sufficient, which means live with it. God, I'm blind. I'm totally blind. I, 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 this is not me, though, because I really don't care. I, I, I would never, never trade the vision that God has given me for the sight that he could give me. If he gives me the vision and the sight, hallelujah. But I, I'll tell you something. I'll be very honest. I know myself. I know this flesh. I, I'd be one of those nine lepers that never came back even to thank Jesus. I'd be like, vision, sight, sight, thank you. <laughs> and... Where'd you get that? Oh, I don't know. Some guy back there. I just I, Let me see that girl again. No. God's got me right where he wants me. And God uses me in spite of my quote-unquote disability. As it says in the book of John in chapter 9. So that he would be glorified in my life. 
But those of you that are blind, those of you that have prayed and said, God, I, I, I don't want this. I don't want this. I want, I want a change. You know what? God can heal you. He's healed plenty of blind people in the Bible. It's not that he won't, but it also doesn't mean that your faith didn't restore you. Don't buy that. If somebody tells you, hey, well, you, you didn't pray enough. You know, I've talked to blind people that they have been told everything from that their parents sinned, so they're paying for their parents' mistakes, that God couldn't look at them because of their parents' sin, or that they didn't have enough faith to heal themselves, so therefore they were going to stay blind all the rest of their lives. Sometimes, folks, it just works out that way. So when you do that, count it all joy. It's very difficult to count it all joy, but let me tell you, it is possible. The Bible says that Jesus counted it all joy for the, for the, for the trial that was set before him. Jesus knew he was going to go to the cross. He didn't go with a big old grin, but he counted it all joy. He knew what that trial was going to cost. He knew that at the end of that trial, there was going to be something that could never have been done by anyone else in history ever. And that was the salvation of the saints through his blood at Calvary. He knew this. So he counted it all joy. How is God going to use you if you can get your trial out of the way, if you can get your sickness out of the way and focus on Jesus and say, Jesus, I want this, but it's not what I want anymore. It's not my will, but your will be done. If you want to heal me and glorify yourself in that way, hallelujah, do it, please. I'm here. Give it to me. Give me whatever you want. Not my feet alone, Lord, but my body, everything as well. Peter said to Jesus when Jesus said that he had to wash Peter's feet. Peter said, hey, what do you mean wash my feet? Are you going to wash my feet? I would never allow that. Jesus said, if you don't allow me to wash your feet, then you have no part of me. So Peter said, no, not my, not my feet, Lord, but my hands and my head and everything of, of me as well. Everything. Why? Because he wanted everything that Jesus had to give him. You can't say, well, Jesus, I don't want that. You can't be a cafeteria Christian. You can't say, Jesus, I don't want your trials. I just want your joy. Jesus, I don't want your testing. I just want your joy. Jesus, I don't want your purification. I just want your peace. No. The scripture says that when there are trials, and there will be trials. It didn't say if, right? It said when there are trials, then he will be there with you through the storm. The other thing that we don't talk about much is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Do you know, and if you don't know, get the tape, get the CD, get the podcast, whatever. But do you know that as a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit of God inside of you? And when you ask for the baptism in the Holy Spirit, you get the gifts of the Holy Spirit up in you. And you can start doing things that you never saw before. You can start walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has power, folks. Jesus said, I give you the power to trample on snakes and scorpions. I give you this power for I go to the Father. You'll do what I do and more. More. You saw all the things that Jesus did? <laughs> You'll do that more than that. More than that. Turn in the book of Psalms for me to Psalm 127. Psalm 127. And Sandy, why don't you read that to us here? Verse 1. A song of ascents of Solomon, 
Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. So unless the Lord builds the house. Folks, we don't need to worry about church programs. We don't need to go out there and take surveys. Folks, we're dealing with a world that's hurting. A world that doesn't know what it wants. Listen, folks, how many of you in this very room listening to my voice that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, how many of you got it wrong before you finally realized that the way to get it right is to give it up to the Lord? It's not to do it your way. Your way didn't work. Mine didn't work for 28 years. How many years didn't yours work for before you finally gave it up to the Lord? How many years? But no, we go out there, we take surveys, we, we, we fill out cards, we ask people questionnaires. People don't know what they want. People just want to be happy. And happiness is based on what happens. Let's go back here to the book of Acts, chapter 15, verse 28. And here in the book of Acts, we see how the church of Acts, instead of doing things that they wanted to do, they would consult with the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus said, I'm going to send to you a helper. And that helper actually translated as one like me. If the believer really realized how much power he has in his salvation, how much power he has inside of him as given to him by the Lord Jesus Christ, let me tell you, you wouldn't ask anybody for their advice ever again. All you would do is say, Lord, what would you do? Where would you have me go? What would you, what would you have me do in this situation and how would you have me act? This is what happened with the disciples. They would, they would be submitted to the Holy Spirit. Henry, why don't you read uh, Acts 15.28 here. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. What does that show us, folks? It shows us partnership. It shows us that they didn't do anything without, without the Holy Spirit. Over in, uh, over in Acts chapter 16, verse 7, the Holy Spirit told them, no, you can't go to this place that they wanted to go preach. They wanted to go into, uh, into Mycenae to preach, to preach. And no, the Holy Spirit wouldn't let them go there. Holy Spirit said, nope, can't do that. And how does that happen? If you're not knowing how to hear the voice of the Spirit, you're not going to hear it. The devil is the one that prowls around like a roaring lion. Do it this way, do it that way. The Lord has a still, small voice. And Jesus said, my sheep, my sheep, know my voice. I'm sure I've mentioned it several times, and I'll mention it again. I'm blind, and I can't see anybody's face. So what I need to do is when you meet me, I say, listen, I, I can't see your face. I have a real problem recognizing faces. And uh, it'll be a little while before I get to know your voice. So when you walk up to me, say, hey, Mikey, it's so-and-so. And then throughout some point of our friendship, I'll tell you to stop it. <laughs> if I haven't told you to stop it, don't worry about it. You just have a voice that sounds like everybody else's. That doesn't mean I love you any less. It just means that you sound like everybody else. I'm kidding. But the thing is that, you know, when I meet somebody, I don't know their voice right away. They're not my friend yet. 
Okay, and chances are, if you covered their eyes and I came up and I said, hey, how are you? They wouldn't know my voice either. We know the voice of the Holy Spirit because we've spent time with the Holy Spirit. You understand? And, and really, that's the only way, the only way that we know what to do. It's not by me. As I said at the beginning, I'm nobody to be doing this. I'm nobody to be doing this. I'm not qualified. I'm nothing, but I am anointed. I'm called, I'm anointed, and I've been appointed. And I can prove it. Turn one last thing before we wrap it up here. Turn to the book of Colossians. Chapter 1, verse 25. And D, why don't you read that for us here real quick. Of this church, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. Notice, God gave me what he gave me. Now those of you that can look around know that there's not that many people here. I'm not counting. I don't care. God told me to come here tonight to preach a word. And I don't care if this place had 3,000 people or if this place had three people or four people. doesn't matter to me. I'm going to come here and I'm going to share the message that God gave me for his people. For the people that he's put here for me to minister to and for me to share the word that God has put in my heart for you today. That's why. And the only way I can do this is to remain submitted to the Lord, is to know, to fellowship, to partner with Him. How do I do that? I study the Word. I fellowship with the saints. Whenever I can, I share a meal with anybody who wants to share a meal. As you can tell, I like my meals. But last of all, but first of all, I pray. And I ask the Lord, Lord, show me your heart for your people. Give me a heart for your people. Because of myself, Lord, I don't care about anybody but myself and my family. But Lord, give me a heart for your people. And he has. And those who know me know the fruit that the Holy Spirit has put in my life. And let me tell you, it's the most amazing thing. Please, if you don't know Jesus... Invite him into your heart today. Your life will never, ever be the same again. And if you know Jesus and you're not experiencing what you've heard tonight, if you're not in a church that you're not experiencing what you heard tonight, ask the Lord, Father, please direct me as to what you want me to do because I know that there's more to you than what I've been experiencing. Pray that fair prayer. Say, Lord, if what he's talking about is real, then make it as real to me as it is to him. And Lord, if what he's saying is not, <laughs> whack his ministry, please. Because I don't want to hear that garbage anymore. Father, we give you thanks and praise because we know that we've heard from your Holy Spirit tonight. Lord, we just pray that, that this message go out into all the world, Lord, that copies be made of this message that people hear it and that their lives be renewed by the teaching of your word and by your Holy Spirit. Father, we give you thanks because you've given us that spirit, that helper, that one like Jesus to dwell among us. Who are we 
that you would live inside us. Thank you, Father. We worship you today. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.